You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Sarah Tetlow is the founder of Firm Focus, which focuses on productivity consulting for attorneys and other legal professionals. She helps law firms reduce their bottom line and operate more efficiently. More importantly, attorneys see a reduction in stress and anxiety and an increase in focus and new business. Sarah began her career in law in the early 2000s after graduating from UC Santa Barbara with a BA in law and society. Sarah's mission and the reason for starting her company is the desire to see a change in the industry to help attorneys and other legal professionals experience control over their day and mitigate the poor habits caused by the workload. On the podcast today, I've got Sarah Tetlow, and today we're talking about legal productivity and mindset. Sarah, thanks for joining me on the show today. Scott, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be one of the guests on your partner podcast. Great. And I like your niche. It's very narrowly focused on one single area of expertise, productivity and performance. And a lot of it is shining brightly in the same niche in which I work, uh, helping attorneys become more effective at what they do. So tell me, how did you get to where you are today? What's kind of your journey from when you started and entered the, the world, the professional world, to what you're doing today with your company? I always wanted to be an attorney. I, my mom used to say to me, you can't be an attorney. You have to be a judge because you always get the last word, Sarah. And I started <laughs> on, yeah. <laughs> I always remember that growing up and I thought, well, that would be okay too. I mean, I could totally be a judge. I got my BA from, in law and society from UC Santa Barbara and I started working in the legal industry, worked in it my whole career and really recognized that I have a skill where I remain calm under pressure. I can get a frazzled attorney coming into my office with something that needs to get done or that's due and be able to see the means to the end and calm the attorney down by saying, well, this is feasible. We can do one, two, and three and get this done Mm. in a very effective and productive manner. And I also saw in the industry that it really operates off of chaos and stress. And um, interesting. I wanted to start from focus because, and I wanted specifically to work with attorneys and legal professionals because I know their language, I know the work that they do, I know what summary judgment motion is and discovery and what trial looks like and what leading up to trial looks like, and also what it can do to an attorney when they settle hours before trial because they've put so much effort and work into it and they were mentally prepared that they were going to go into trial and maybe also sort of hoping that it would settle, but it can change their behaviors too and change what's on their plate because here they were a full schedule prepared to go to trial and now all of a sudden they've got time on their hand and they're not really sure how to manage everything else that they need to do with all this free time. And so part of what I do is coach with that, identifying priorities and being able to shift those priorities as these changes happen in their industry. 
Well, that's interesting. I liked what you said just now earlier when you talked about how the industry, what did you say? It's built on chaos. Is that right? Yeah. That's interesting. I think most people seek advice of an attorney. It's hardly ever a happy thing unless they're starting up a company or prosecuting a patent or something like that. So that's interesting. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. And just to to say something else about that too, um, I not to get into the IT world of, of legal law firms, but oftentimes we hear from the IT person that it's a thankless job. And I've thought to myself, yeah, but so are our attorneys. It's pretty much a thankless job unless yeah. they prevail at trial or they settle, but in a with an amount that they're extremely pleased with, it's pretty much a thankless job. Right. Well, tell me about your business then with Firm Focus. First, how did you come up with the name Firm Focus? When I started Firm Focus, I sat down with my business plan and I was trying to land on a name. And I literally wrote down everything I could think of that related to attorneys, law firms, lawyers, legal, time management, productivity, efficiency, focus and eventually landed on firm focus. And I'm pretty proud of the name because I think the firm aspect of it obviously speaks to law firm, but also Mm -hmm. to be firmly focused. And the focus aspect of it is what I'm trying to drive my clients to do, to remain focused, to do what they need to do, set the parameters around them so that they can enter deep focus work and feel at the end of the day, not only that they've accomplished something, but they've accomplished mm-hmm. something proactive on their own to-do list. What I find a lot, especially in younger attorneys, but I think even partners experience this when they get demands coming in from clients. They walk in, they have their to-do list, they're ready to be focused. They get caught up in they're what I, I like to call them the point ones and point threes and point fours, and they're getting all these little clear the decks done. And then mm-hmm. they're about to get started on that number one thing that they need to get started on, and something pulls them away. And while they mm-hmm. may have achieved little ticks on their day, I responded to this client, I sent out this subpoena, I reviewed this document, I did this little bit of research. But at the end of the day, their number one thing hasn't been accomplished. And they don't feel like they've accomplished anything that day. And so this is what creates the groundhog effect where in the chaos, where now we enter Tuesday. And now today's the day we're going to get that number one thing done, but we're not changing those habits. And we're not changing the way that we're productively attacking our day. And we get different point ones, point threes, point fives, and our assignments done And then again, we get pulled away from getting that number one proactive thing we need to do. So this leads to the coming in on weekends where we don't have the distractions or staying up late at night and not getting quality time in with our family. So let me kind of bring this to some action steps. If there were action steps an attorney could take, let's start out, what is the number one thing you'd encourage your clients to do differently to start seeing an effect on their productivity immediately? So this is, this is actually, I, I say the number one thing, and then I kind of spiralize, it's actually more than number one. But the number one thing to do differently is to understand that productivity is a journey and not a destination. And so it's a matter of doing little things, just minor tweaks in what you do in your habits, and consistently doing those for six to eight weeks. It takes that long for new habits to mm-hmm. form, whether that's starting a new regimen at the gym or changing the way in which you're attacking your workday. 
And so the number one thing to do differently to see an effect on productivity is to understand that you make the small tweaks, one to two small tweaks. And then to elaborate on that, what are those one to two small tweaks that your audience or you or whoever could make to start seeing an impact on their deep work and accomplishing their number one thing? Well, setting boundaries is a huge part of that. And in the legal industry, we get a lot of pushback on that. I can't set boundaries. My clients need to be able to get me the second that they need me. My, my emails need to chime. My phone needs to ring. My door needs to be open. And while I do agree that we need to be responsive to our clients, I think that if you're deliberately being responsive to your client, it is as, as effective as the chaos that you're currently living in. And what I mean by that is... Right. You are sitting there working on some deep focus work and your little gray box pops up and chimes at you. And you are looking at that. You may not think you are, but you are. And if it's spam mail or an article that you can read at another time, then your head's going back into your deep work. But you are task switching. But if you are working on that deep focus work and that gray box pops up and it chimes and it's your client and you're popping into that email, if you're being honest with yourself, you're probably taking the next 15 minutes to stir up some emotion about that email before you're replying to the client. So on the client side, they're getting the response 15 minutes later. So my point in setting boundaries and being more deliberate is you turn off those notifications and sound. And I also talk a lot about setting timers. Set a timer to focus on your deep work for 30 minutes, uninterrupt it, And then when the timer goes off, you're still looking at that email from the client, but now you're prepared to look at it. And therefore, you can give the client a response that doesn't come from those maybe more negative emotions that are stirred up because they pulled you away from something you were trying to do. Does that make sense? So let me ask, it does. And let me ask you to get some definitions here, just because I want to take everything you said and kind of structure it into action steps. So, So first, when you say deep... Deep, deep work, work, deep, deep, deep work. How, what was, like so tell me about that. What does that mean exactly? Great, great question. And um, I'll re- reference a book that I did not write, although I wish I did. Deep Work by Cal Newport is a great book that goes into much more detail than what I'm about to say. But deep work is, and I like to relate it to whatever that number one thing that you need to be working on, that number one task. And I don't, not right. project. We don't work on projects. We work on tasks to finish projects. And so deep work is taking that number one task you need to do. So you are working on a summary judgment brief. And right now, the number one task you need to be doing is some case law research. And maybe you're procrastinating on it, or maybe you're getting interrupted from it. But by entering deep work state, you take that number one task and you get very deliberate and focused on it. So you set a timer for 30 minutes or an hour, and you work just on that one thing. And what happens to all of us, um, with or without timers, but that's one of the reasons I highly suggest timers, but what happens to all of us is we think that we're entering a deep work state and we're working away. And next thing you know, this voice pops up that says, hey, go check your email. Maybe the client replied to you. And we think that that voice is some sort of indication that we need a break, that we've put too much time into this deep work. But really, that's just the way our brain operates. It wants to take us away from this one task and pull us into the more exciting. And this has been heightened as we get more and more into the 2000s. And so by 
setting a timer, when that voice pops up, it's much easier to dismiss it and say, no, I'm being very deliberate to focus for one hour and not draw my attention to the email at this moment. I will see it in 35 minutes or whatever, but Mm -hmm. I need to It'll still be there, right? It'll still be there. And I can make some significant impact on this work that I need to get done. And it, it creates a feeling there's always going to be work to do. There's always going to be work to do, but there's a big difference between sitting down at 9 PM and now getting started on that deep work when you're tired, when you would rather go to bed, when you want to spend more quality time with your family versus getting that one to two hours of deep work done during the workday. And then at nine o'clock, you're just sort of going through those point ones and point threes and handling a couple of emails that you can now start your next day more proactively again. And Scott, actually with, with your permission, I will do a very quick demonstration for your audience of sure. also what it's doing to our our brains when we are task switching. And so I just in that example of deep work, I said that voice pops up and we go over and we do something differently and then we go back into our deep work. And so if if your audience has a pen and paper, I'll give them a minute to grab that. And if they're driving, I would just ask that they return to this podcast at a time more convenient to them, certainly not while driving. Mm -hmm. And what we're (laughs) going to do is... I will, in a moment, I'm going to start a timer for 15 seconds. And if your audience can write the words, I am fully focused. So it will be, I am fully focused. And then below that, they'll write the numbers one through 15. So ideally they'll line up. And after that, they'll rate themselves on the quality of their work. So were they able to finish that project? And was their handwriting more rushed? And then their stress level. How stressed did they feel to try to get that project done? So again, I am fully focused and the numbers one through 15 begin. Stop. So just somewhere on the margin, if you want to write a Q and an S, Q for quality, 1 through 10, 10 being the highest, how was the quality of your work? And then the stress, 1 through 10, how much stress did you feel to get that job done? And then if they, well, they're going to do the exercise one more time, just below the one that they did. But now you'll jump from the top line to the bottom line. So you're going to write an I and then a 1, an A and then a 2 an M, and then a three, all the way through the exercise. So begin. Okay. Stop. So now if they write the quality of their work, how did their handwriting compare? Did they finish the project? and their stress level. How much stress did they endure for that task? And what it tries to show you, so the first exercise, we are single tasking. We're working on that deep work. We're focused on the one task at hand. And then the second one, we are multitasking. Not project management, Mm -hmm. but multitasking. Task switching, working on a research, checking an email from a client. Working on research, someone barges into our office. 
And in this exercise, it was just a sentence and consecutive numbering. But hopefully it demonstrated that by switching back and forth, it impairs productivity significantly. That's a great exercise. I'm embarrassed to even tell you how I did on the second one. You want to share? (laughs) Oh, I got the first one, of course, got it perfect. Quality was very high. Stress was very low. The second one, quality on a one to 10 was maybe about a two. Didn't Uh finish it. And I I thought I could count from one to 15, but apparently I made a mistake in there because (laughs) I had to go back and forth. You're absolutely right. And the stress was much higher because you're absolutely right. You're, You're interrupting yourself. You're switching from one task to another. I always say when you're doing your online banking and your kid walks in the room, well, you have to stop one task, focus on another one, end that task and come back and restart. It's that distraction. That right. interu- that's like the interruption is like a distraction. And that's what mm-hmm. causes the stress. That's a great example. That's a great example. Yeah. So setting boundaries, turning off those distractions and notifications, setting timers. Those would be small changes that you can make to help impact your productivity overall. Well, Sarah, let me ask you this. Give me an example of boundaries. When you've worked with somebody, what's an example of a boundary they had to set? How did they do it where it didn't hinder the relationship? And what was the result of that? Right. Well, certainly a, a big boundary that they can set is, is setting, closing or opening their door. And I like to say that I think way back when, when attorneys used to work with their door open and then maybe one person started shutting their door at the firm to indicate deep work. And then everyone started shutting their doors. And now they've been rendered meaningless. A shut door is just barge right in because everyone works with their door shut. Or maybe it's a firm where the culture is everyone works with their door open. But whatever the... And it really does change based on the culture of that firm. But use that to your advantage where you can. So if you are in a firm where most people work with the door shut and so it doesn't mean anything, don't be afraid to put sticky notes on your door. People do respect them. Mm. So you can even put, I've seen them where it's come on in, doors closed because of the heater or on a call, do not disturb. And so by doing that, it puts the onerous on the interrupt door. How important is this? Is this something that I do need to barge in there for? Or can I send an email or an instant message to that person? Or can I maybe delegate it to somebody else? Is it really needs to be handled by this person who is trying to obviously get some deep work done? And so I think there are ways in which to use that. If, and if possible, just put a timer on there. So do not disturb till noon. If you know that you're trying to mm-hmm. do deep work for 45 minutes, we see those storefronts where you walk up and it says, we'll be back in five minutes. We're like, right. well, okay, great. When did you leave? And so I try to tell my, my right. <laughs> I tell my clients, just be specific. Do not disturb until noon because it gives a very deliberate time at which now I can, I've deserved my break. I need my break. I can handle something new, but for now I need to focus on this deep work. Well, that's great. What great ideas you have. Tell me about some sort of tech solutions. Is there any sort of productivity app that you'd recommend that attorneys use that's specific to their practice? Right. So there are a lot of productivity apps on the market. And this is what happens to many of us. We're having a conversation. Like I'm going to say right now, I love Todoist. It's simple, but effective. And someone's going to run out and download Todoist and then implement some of their tasks and start to get those overwhelming alerts every day and then abandon it. 
And I find that then they'll have a conversation and someone will say, oh, you should be really using Trello. Trello is amazing. And they download Trello and they spend the time to put their tasks and thoughts and strategies into it. And then it gets overwhelming and then they abandon it. And we invest a lot of time, some money into these productivity apps that may not be the right fit for you. I like Mm. to compare it to shopping for a car. We wouldn't go out, buy a car with one need in mind and then park the car and abandon it because it didn't have the other needs. And so the best way I can answer this on on my website, www.firm-focus.com slash resources, there is a productivity app chart. And it has a couple of leading questions that are really great to find out what's your learning style as it relates to, do you need a more visual storyboard kind of task platform? Or are you more of an outline, structure, list kind of person? I am the latter, which is why Todoist is good for me. Trello mm-hmm. is good for somebody who likes more of the Kanban style. And so that chart has a lot of the productivity apps that you've probably heard of, and maybe some you haven't. And then what are the costs? What kind of style is it good for? Is it good for individual or team? Does it have these other functionalities that you might be looking for? And it's at least a good starting point for your audience if they want to use something techy to go there and then do a little bit more research into which one is the good investment. Also, to not use any of them out of the box. They are meant to be customizable to fit Mm-hmm. you, what your needs are. And so to invest the time with whichever one you pick to make sure that it's helping you be more productive and not actually impacting your productivity by sending you alerts that you don't need or other capabilities that aren't something that you need. And and last comment on that, pen and paper is still very effective as long as right. you are getting those thoughts, strategies, ideas out of your head onto paper. As David Allen, author of Getting Things Done says, your head is for having ideas, not for holding them. And you really can work more productively and more clear-headed if all of those things are written into a trusted system and therefore you're able to utilize your brain to its full capacity. And what was the link you mentioned again where we could see those resources? Yes, it's www.firm.com focus, F-O-C-U-S dot com slash resources. Great. And we'll put that on our show notes as well. So people can, if they didn't write it down, they can just go there and get that directly. So let me ask you uh, one final question. I know that many productivity experts suggest that you don't check email till after you've made some progress on your progress on your biggest project of the day. What's your take on that, Sarah? Right. Yeah. So a lot of them say, don't even open email and get right into that A1 because then you're not going to be pulled away by, in our language, those 0.1s, those 0.3s, those 0.4s. I have a hard time with that and I have my whole career. I think our industry or maybe just our need to make sure nothing has changed, I do need to check email. And so, and I find most of my clients do as well. So I say that is completely acceptable. I would say don't check it in the morning. Don't check it when the first thing you wake up that I would go completely against. In fact, don't check it on the train or car into work. But once you arrive at your desk and you've had a chance to have your morning, what you need to do, what you need to process, what, where you need to be with your mindset, when you arrive to your desk, I do think that you can check your email. 
I would just really encourage you to build that into your day and set those timers. So you arrive at your desk typically around 8 a.m. I would encourage you to say from 8 to 8.45, you can get coffee and settle in and check email and prioritize those email, clear the decks a bit. But then at 8.45, when that timer goes off, again, I emphasize timers, the timer goes off at 8.45, that's when you're going to get started on that number one task that you need to do to have control of your day. Well, Sarah, you've got some great tips. Tell us about the work that you do in terms of your offerings and anything else about you that you'd like our listeners to, to know about you. Sure. Yeah. I, so through Firm Focus, I do workshops with pretty interactive workshops. The exercise we did this morning is a little bit of an example of something that I do. I do more than that with the group and show in many, many different ways those small changes that they can do to impact their day. And it really resonates with the group because they can feel it in the moment. They can feel what it's like to set things aside, to work deliberately, to set the boundaries. And I also do one-on-one coaching that helps the clients with accountability, but also identifying personal and professional goals to grow. I also, on my website, you can sign up for my productivity tips. They come about every three to four weeks. It's a pretty simple interruption that will help you craft your practice to be more productive. I also invite my clients or other potential clients or just guests to write in with any sort of productivity question that they have, whether it's distractions that they can't control or interruptions that are coming from external sources. I can help them identify a solution to that problem. And I will usually with, share that on the productivity tips mailer anonymously as well. Well, that's great, Sarah. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show today. And hopefully the people listening will reach out to you at least to definitely take advantage of the, the offerings and the tips that you have on your, on your newsletter. And thanks so much again for being a guest on the show today. Thank you, Scott. I really enjoyed my time with you. And I... Appreciate the work that you're doing too to help partners with lateral moves or people to grow into a firm that fits with them a little bit better culturally than where they're at. Great, great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.